Hello everyone, welcome back to the unnamed Carthage Philharmonic Europe Trip podcast. My name is Will. I'm Ozneev. And I'm Davison. Today's episode is sponsored by the delicious German and Austrian street food. They have a lot of really interesting stuff to offer um, in Germany. This included um, Butterbrezels, which is um, a pretzel sliced in half and smeared with a thick layer of butter. Um, they also have currywurst, a ver- uh, which is a sausage with curry sauce, um, and quite a lot of other um, unique things, mm-hmm. um, and all very delicious and affordable, which is important on this leg of the trip when we're trying to finish up our money, but also not trying to take out more yes. before the trip ends. Yes, <laughs> trying to be a little frugal. Um, <laughs> So today we're going to be talking about our ninth and 10th days, so our last days in Europe, um, before we head out on our, on our plane. So mm-hmm. uh, to start out the day, we got a little bit of an extra, uh, a little bit extra sleep. Um, didn't have to wake up too early today because unfortunately a couple of our uh, pre-planned events um, had to get canceled and mm-hmm. sort of moved around for a couple other things, but um, we had uh, still a little early departure around nine o'clock. And we went through Border Patrol um, through Germany, um, which went very smoothly. And um, we arrived at our final hostel for the trip, um, got unpacked. And then shortly after, we went out um, to the train station and arrived in Dachau. So for those who don't know, Dachau is a German concentration camp back from World War II, um, which has since been converted to a memorial site. So... Um, definitely um, an incredible experience, and I think um, we would like to talk about that with you guys. Yes. Dachau originally was not meant for ethnic cleansing. It was actually a political prisoner camp. Mm -hmm. Later on during the war and during the final solution is when they started doing mass imports of and mass incarcerations of Jewish people. It was not directly an extermination camp, but was primarily a labor camp Mm -hmm. where they would overwork, overcrowd, and starve the prisoners as they worked themselves to death. Mm -hmm. And just a fair warning for anyone that's listening, if this makes you uncomfortable, you don't have to listen, but Mm -hmm. um, we will be diving a little bit deeper into DACO. so one of the things, sort of bouncing off what you just said, how it was primarily a labor camp, um, one of the things that first struck me when entering the camp was the gates, um, where the door of the gate said, um, your work will set you free, which mm-hmm. um, when Dr. Bear mentioned, it was basically a slap in the face to anyone who entered this area because um, ultimately that wasn't true. They they were basically giving them false hope. and. That was something that really hit me hard, and um, the people that went through here, they just were being lied to, basically. Mm-hmm. Twisted irony. The mm-hmm. only way the work would set them free is if they died while working. Yeah, it, it was very, yeah. It's, and that's a big thing with a lot of the um, goal of the concentration camp. It's not just to break their bodies, but to break their mind. They used... They used basic hazing 
and hazing techniques seen in the military emphasizing order and cleanliness mm -hmm. then took them to such a degree that they would torture and force these people into completely inhumane conditions. Yeah. One of the things that we saw when uh, we entered were the two rebuilt barracks. Mm -hmm. um, there were around 40, I'm not exactly sure, but around 40 barracks originally that were all burned down after the liberation. Mm -hmm. um, and when they reconstructed them, one of the things that we saw were um, some of them had some um, descriptions of what each of the rooms were. And what I read in one of the rooms was that they only had around five to ten minutes on average between waking up and roll call to wash their hands, wash their bodies, and sort of get ready for the day. And it was just a very inhumane space. And it was mm -hmm. very disturbing to me um, seeing the grounds in which they would stand for hours um, during roll call. And it was a very, um, in the words of one of our professors, a very sobering experience. Mm -hmm. And I was, I'm glad that I was alone during this. Um, it was very eye-opening being in such a historical place and witnessing firsthand what humans are capable of. is It's truly um, disturbing. I kind of want to quick illustrate some of the things we're talking about. Um, so like Will said, this sort of these hazing tech, um, you know, part of this hazing and to relate it to the barracks, um, the every day the prisoners would have to make their beds to perfection. Um, and these beds were basically were bunks, um, but they're all, you know, pushed up right against each other. So there's a room of you know, 20 years, 20 or more bunk beds all pushed right up against each other. So you're literally living within less, you know, less than one foot of your, um, you know, of whoever is next to you at all times. You're sleeping, your head, your feet are probably touching their head um, and your shoulder to shoulder. So it's really not very much space. Um, and they would have to fix their bed every day. Um, and if the slightest error, you know, if, if the inspectors found the slightest error, um, the bed would be torn apart, they would be mocked and ridiculed, um, and they'd have to remake the bed. And this is really difficult because they wouldn't get very much time. They were trying to make their bed while the person next to them was always also trying to make theirs. And so it, they were almost mocked. Um, and for such a petty task, um, it's it's very i was disgusted um and it was i you know it was very hard to um to look at and read um and it's hard to fathom even what was going on um and also i wanted to uh explain the roll call thing that happened every morning all the prisoners would have to line up um in the center sort of you know it's not really a square because it's just a camp but it was really this expansive square um and these people would be lined up shoulder to shoulder, um, very organizedly, um, and every head would be counted um, to see, you know, to make sure everyone was there. Weaker prisoners, you know, and they're, they're out there every day, no matter what the weather is, um, no matter if they're sick or tired or injured, you, you have to be at roll call, you have to stand up straight um, and stay quiet and motionless the entire time and unfortunately you know we read that many people died during roll call from standing outside in the elements the weaker or older prisoners 
and uh, you know one of the most gruesome things to um in my that i read was that they even brought out the dead prisoners to count those heads as well and the it wasn't just mockery when the prisoners would fail the mm-hmm. arbitrary demands some of the they would be beaten they'd be caned they could be hung on poles where they would be basically tied to a pole and hung out in the elements they would be whipped um they if it was more than one person they would be put locked in confinement with no food or light mm-hmm. people would they they'd be further starved it was never it was one thing after another mm-hmm. and usually if one person failed making their bed after they're beaten they're struggling to do their work they're beaten again they're struggling to clean themselves and be orderly then they they're starved again and it just continues as they want to consistently bombard them with pain and humiliation so that they break their spirits mm-hmm. and then eventually they die yeah it was very overwhelming being in this place and reading all the atrocities that took place and um even now just re- like thinking about it again and um sort of playing it back is it's very um it's very hard to be in this place and you sort of have to give yourself the time that you need to um sort of understand what was what was happening in this time and understanding um you know both sides of what was happening it was a very dark time and i think it's it, it was just very disturbing i think to be present in such a in such a terrible place mm. and at the same time it was very educational for us and i think um we can't put it lightly um how how important this place is to sort of um you know to sort of put history um in front of you i guess and it it shouldn't be taken lightly what happened there but um it was definitely an eye opening experience and i think we all sort of had our own experiences mm-hmm. there yeah the uh standing in the gas chamber and the crematorium mm-hmm. you see luckily dakau did not use their gas chamber for mass killings mm-hmm. it was for executions uh single executions in small groups mm-hmm. so it was not like auschwitz however they had to make multiple crematoriums and expand these crematoriums because people were dying so quickly they couldn't burn the bodies mm. and keep up so mm. so they'd have storage rooms of the dead mm. and these crematoriums would be working every night mm. worked usually by the jewish prisoners mm-hmm. oh, they'd be bur- they'd be literally cremating their friends and family mm. yeah and one of the i find it's twisted is that there is a line of graves covered in a forest archway this forest itself is beautiful mm. and it's the nature flows and but the minute you look right or left you see a grave mm. you see usually a grave and it's of of many thousands right 
you see or you look left and it says execution site mm -hmm. and it's the almost having a beauty of nature be just kind of twisted into this sick execution and place of death mm -hmm. by it yeah it was that was probably one of the most disturbing parts of daco for me was just understanding how the the volume the sheer volume of death there that they had to upgrade their facilities and it, it made me very not it, it, it didn't make me sick but it was a very hard experience for me being in these buildings where such atrocities took place it was just it, it was again very overwhelming yeah i almost felt like i was sort of you know, walking through the, looking at the crematorium, walking through, I was, you know, we were able to walk through mm -hmm. the gas chamber, you know, walk through it, each room. It said, okay, this is where they were stripped of their clothes. This is where they were told what was going to happen next. They were told they were, you know, when a group of prisoners was let out here, um, they were, you know, walked through this ritual where they would, um, they would have to undress. They were told they were going into a shower. They were told how to use this shower. Um, and they had no idea. No one at the camp had any idea of what was out here. This is some, mm -hmm. I'm not very good with distances, but, you know, very far, you know, pretty yeah. a, a good walk away from the main camp. Um, and, I'm, you know, no one was ever let back there unless they were led back there. So they had no idea what would come out. And we were able to walk through that exact progression of, um, you know, in this room is where they left their clothes, you know, everything. Um, I felt, uh, it, I didn't feel right that this was something that I should walk through. Mm -hmm. Somebody, this was the last thing many, many people saw. Mm -hmm. And to walk through as a, you know, to, to just to observe it, I felt incredibly lucky um, and blessed that this is not something that hopefully I will have to endure in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. um, it oh, it really puts into perspective what they had to go through, but at the same time, it's so, so important that we preserve this, um, that this is preserved, you know, not to ogle at, but to remember and to hopefully make sure it never happens again mm -hmm. um, by allowing us to experience it and see that this is not humanity. And also, you know, in the museum part, to see what these warning signs of this atrocity were um, and hopefully, you know, pre prevent something from this scale from ever happening again. Yeah, I think I just want to emphasize what you were saying there is like... Um, we had reflection time afterwards. Everyone kind of took their own time to reflect on what we had seen, what we had learned. Um, and that was very important because, like you said, um, just going through those buildings is very hard on some people. But um, you mentioned how um, the the museum here showed um, sort of the warning signs and um, the there was actually a monument outside of the museum it, that had multiple languages, but in English it, it translates to never again. Mm -hmm. And it's that was one of the things that I saw while I was leaving that hit me the hardest, that we really, these places are important because we need to preserve them and sort of learn from history. And when we sort of um, 
pull a veil over our, ourselves mm-hmm. and sort of ignore it, mm-hmm. we're bound to make the same mistakes again. And yeah. it's very, um, that was very eye-opening for me, just knowing that we have these places of history where we're able to see sort of the mistakes that we've made and um, we're able to learn from them and, you know, we're able to um, sort of learn from our mistakes, I guess. I think that was a big thing that separated Munich and Europe and how they are now covering and truly highlighting these atrocities versus Mm -hmm. the U.S. and its own blood on its hands. Yeah. yeah. Because we ignored the Trail of Tears. That was touched on by a elementary school in one class Mm -hmm. and was ignored for the rest of we discuss we talk we talk about the internment camps but don't truly actually experience or see that we took our own citizens stripped them of their rights and put them in camps as well right that was a very eye-opening experience for me too just and this is something i learned in high school that America itself is guilty of a lot of the same things um, that other countries are. Like, back at, during World War II, um, we had these Japanese internment camps, and America is not innocent of, uh, like, our own mistakes. And I think, as a culture, again, I notice these differences where we sort of don't own up to what our mistakes are. Um, I didn't learn about a lot of America's um I didn't learn about a lot of our mistakes until I was in high school. And even now I'm still learning new things that were not necessarily being told. And I think it might not be because we're trying to hide it, but maybe just because we haven't necessarily come to terms with what we've done yet Mm -hmm. versus in these places where they've not moved on, but they definitely make it a point to know the history. We don't. It want to admit for a lot of people that we not only attempted genocide, but we succeeded. Mm. We killed off millions of people when we colonized North America. Yeah. We did the Trail of Tears and completely uprooted whole civilizations mm-hmm. and either put them through disease, we executed them. We took their children and tried to assimilate them into the U.S. Mm -hmm. by literally kidnapping them from their homes. Mm -hmm. We did this and we've done it for a long time in our history. Mm -hmm. We got founded in the late 1700s. We've done this stuff. I mean, the Japanese internment camps are less than 100 years ago. Yeah, yeah, that's the that was very disturbing to me that realizing the timeline of events mm-hmm. um, through the world wars is realizing that it really didn't end until the mid 40s. And even then, it's like, you know, I, the ideology doesn't disappear immediately. Mm-hmm. And I feel like um, learning how late in the game this happened during the 20th century and it was really the mid 20th century that um, this all started slowing down. But it was very disturbing to me realizing that this was like a little more than 70 years ago. Like we, it's not even a century ago yet. And it's, it's just very disturbing. Our grandparents were alive. 
people during this, you know. There are, um, I mean, there are still survivors from right. both the Holocaust and the internment camps. Mm-hmm. You have this idea of to never forget and to never, never let it happen mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. But then we ask ourselves, okay, how? Mm-hmm. If you looked at Dachau, outside of it, it was a residential area. Yeah. You see the internment camps. These were in residential areas. And it's always the question of what would you do in that situation? Mm-hmm. And it's the, the hope is always that you would. But then you ask and ask and wonder, are you willing to help your risk your child for um, helping some strangers? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's that is was the major question, at least for me personally, of how not it wasn't how could this happen? We talked about it and we've done this for centuries and centuries. The, it's clear that humanity can easily do this. Right. And it's the yeah. The one of the things that I ended up reading in the museum was there was a picture of Dachau residents visiting Dachau, mm-hmm. the concentration camp, because the US forces when we ultimately began to um, reside in uh, in just Munich in general. Um, they the U.S. forces actually forced Dachau residents to go through Dachau and see what was happening. And I feel like um, it's a very difficult situation, mm-hmm. especially during that time to be in. But the other thing is the you know the so the perpetrators, you know the masterminds behind you know, what turned into the Holocaust, um, they're the one, they really, um, the propaganda and the, you know, the sort of brainwashing of people to really, like, these people did not see Jews as their equals. They did not see them as human, and that was all part of the plan. That's, like, one of the most important parts of a genocide is the dehumanization of the targeted race or, you know, group of people. Mm. Um, it's not like, it, it's it's not as though you saw soldiers killing your neighbor. It, you saw soldiers killing something, mm-hmm. not someone, something not human, something that didn't deserve to live, something that caused problems. And this is part of the turn, the, you know, the way these events happened. It started with this workers movement that was, you know, very liberal and progressive, but it failed. It, 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 it flat out failed and left thousands and thousands of Germans without jobs, um, you know, on the streets, and then this guy, Hitler, and his party came and said, we're going to fix this. Like, they had this propaganda that said, you know, this will never happen again, vote for, you know, vote for us. And that's what allowed these people to see this as the right answer, to save all these Germans from being homeless and jobless, and their country that was in ruins on the, you know, the during this wartime, they saw this as a solution. And when the circumstances really what allowed this to happen and the dehumanization of this group of people is what allowed to have, what, what allowed these killings to happen um, without any mercy or sympathy, you know, sympath- sympathy. sympathy, sympathy, thank you. Um, 
on the you know on the part of these people but and then but then you also hear stories about people housing jews you know it there there it's not like the sense of morality was entirely gone but there was so much threatening on the part of the government that wanted to purify their country and you know totally um you know total germanization i guess with the promotion of the aryan race and everything that they stood for and the complete and utter intolerance and punishment of anything that wasn't so you know what i'm trying to say it's not it's it wasn't an easy thing that happened but it it happened because of these these circumstances and if someone resisted these concentration camps were a clear example of what could happen to you. And it's important to realize that it didn't start with a camp. It didn't start with a genocide. Mm -hmm. It happened over nearly it, it happened over years and years. They started with using the economic turmoil and the struggling after the Treaty of Versailles mm -hmm. and Gay created a scapegoat that allowed people who were impoverished, some were starving, some were angry. They pointed all of that problem to, hey, here is that person. Mm -hmm. They took advantage of random. If they, if a Jewish person took a crime, did a crime, they would take it, amplify it, and return it into their cause of see, they are the problem. Not us. We are fantastic. We are our, we are Germany. We are the we are a powerhouse. You mm -hmm. saw our power in the war. We failed, but we will rise again. Mm -hmm. But it's but these people they ruined us. Mm -hmm. And once you get that, and you start get, being able to push blame and push the pain and anger on others it's so easy to it becomes easier to dehumanize mm -hmm. wow this is some this, Very i think this is a really good discussion and i hope our listeners were able to keep up with that and enjoy it do you, can you guys think of anything else from daca um i think we just about covered it all yeah, we could obviously talk for hours, but we do have to move on. So incredibly grateful for that experience. Um, uh, but I guess we'll move on to our next event of Munich. Yeah. On a much lighter note now, we, in the next day, we got to do a church architecture tour throughout the city of Munich, mm -hmm. at which we started learning about history of architecture and in the cathedrals. Mm. So we toured four different, um, sorry, four different cathedrals as a group. Um, and each of these, we kind of progressed through churches um, of different time periods. Um, and the, the architecture and what we were able to see in the church sort of corresponded to the time period it was built in. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then, for example, we started learning how to identify architecture. Mm -hmm. the, the first one we went to is a much later one. It's called the Rococo um, mm -hmm. architecture, which is basically a more extravagant version of Baroque and was used primarily as an ex example of 
trying to bring back people during the Reformation as people uh, left the Catholic Church to the uh, Lutheranism for uh, the less idolization and extravagance, the uh, Catholic Church basically you tried to use extravagant artwork and the architecture to basically call them back saying, no, this extravagance is perfect. It shows our need for God and repentance. Mm -hmm. And was beautiful. And then it just meant to show the power and beauty of the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting to see the competition between churches almost, um, because like you said, some of um, the ideas that were presented during the time were maybe more um, um, attractive to some people. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the churches would, um, in response, um, rather than changing their ideals, they would usually um, make a more extravagant church or um, have something that was more... Um, aesthetically attractive um, to people to kind of show the maybe not the wealth just like like you said it was um, saying hey look if if our church looks like this imagine what um, our version of God is like I think wealth is a good word actually it you know it it was meant to show the magnificence um, and that again like Will said that was their way of feeling closer to God or, you know, bring heaven on earth. It was, it's these windows, um, it's the music and the acoustics of the room um, that sort of when you walk into the, when you walk, you know, when you crawl past the doors and walk into this, you're transported into kind of a a totally different environment from the outside world. Um, And again, that's all part of how they used worship to connect with God and, um, you know, praise him and confess their sins for the ultimate goal of um, of salvation. Of salvation, yeah. And it was interesting seeing how the different time periods and the different eras of architecture showed God in a different way. Mm-hmm. As Gothic, the pointed, the verticality, and then the pointed arches, it all created. God and the church as an imposing figure to be both respected and feared. Mm -hmm. The Renaissance showed the rationality and the human mind in God, Mm -hmm. mixing with that individualism and our emphasis in enlightenment. In Baroque, there was regality and a point towards extravagance, and then the Rococo took that and pushed it even further. Mm -hmm. It's showing, like art, it showed the opinions and the values through visual means. Mm -hmm. Definitely, I think, um, you know, just going off of that, it definitely, you know, we have a mix of religious, non-religious, Christian, you know, not Christian people in our group. Um, But I think it was really interesting to observe everyone sort of taking in what we were seeing for themselves based on their own belief set. Um, And it kind of, you know, I think it made, it definitely brought up some interesting questions of why this, why this religion, you know, was so important to the people that lived then as mm-hmm. well. As we were in the, with Austria um, and Germany, we were in the Holy Roman Empire. So you see 
uh, religion not just as a religious force, but as a political, a military, and an economic force. Right. And that is shown in those, in the architecture and in its importance of the cathedrals that were throughout Munich. Mm-hmm. Definitely for our listeners, don't discount whether you're religious or not, Christian or not. Um, definitely, and even even visit other, even this doesn't just apply to Christian churches, it could apply to synagogues and um, other temples and places of worship. Don't, if you know, if there's a religious place um, to be toured, do it because you can learn so much um, about a different you know, someone about different beliefs. Um, and they're very beautiful to look at too. I think everyone got something out of it. So, you know, where at first we were like, oh, we're going to see a lot of churches. Okay. You know, not really sure about that. If you're not, you know, if you're not religious, maybe you don't know how to relate to it, but once you're in there, they really are so beautiful. Um, so 10 out of 10 would recommend Mm. don't miss, don't miss churches when you're traveling. For sure. And religion like art doesn't exist in a vacuum. Mm. Mm. It's mm-hmm. so when you are visiting these places, take in mind of the culture around it, mm-hmm. as religion is a very influential, very large influencer throughout history. Mm-hmm. And seeing how it has affected the past, how that the past affected it, and then how that affects now, you see the more connection between multi- the multiple parts of our history and culture. I think, you know, kind of bouncing off of that, um, when we went, the last church we went to, this that was the Baroque style yeah. church, um, Dr. Kawakami asked us to take out our headphones and listen to some Bach before we went in. Bach is a Baroque composer, um, who writes in a Baroque style. So he wanted us to have that immersive experience and connect the Baroque architecture to the Baroque music. And I don't know if you guys did that. I didn't have headphones with me, um, but I played Bach in my head, um, <laughs> you know, when we went when we went in there. And it was a different experience than when I was looking at it without playing the Bach right. in my head. Yeah. Um, did you guys listen to music? What did you think yeah, about that? Yeah, I did. It was very... Um, I feel like the music actually fit really well with the architecture, which I think was the point mm-hmm. of all of it. Um, listening to Bach inside of this church was... Um, it was really a thing to behold because it was it was very inspiring, but it was also very interesting to see how the music, again, fits so well. It felt there was a lot of regality in both the architecture and the Bach overture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it felt like a royal procession. And that extravagance and almost sense of decorum mm-hmm. in a church and in the music felt both it blended well, but then felt different and showed more of that cultural idea of what a cathedral or what a church was. Mm-hmm. Sure. So I think we can all agree that we enjoyed that part of our trip. Um, Moving on to our next thing. So we actually had a long period of free time in Munich where each of us did different activities and experienced 
some of the different parts of Munich's history and culture. Mm-hmm. So well, who would like to share what they did? Um, I, I'll start. So our group decided to, we actually got some food, did a little bit of shopping, but then after that we headed over to the Olympic Center um, in Munich. And it was really nice. You can see the, the Olympic Tower from most of Munich, um, and we actually got an up-close look at it. We got to walk through the park, and for everyone who doesn't know, um, the Olympic Park in Munich is um, actually a, almost a historical site and almost a memorial because um, during, um, I believe it was the 1970s games, um, I would have to fact check that, that though, um, there was actually a terrorist attack, unfortunately, and um, this was sort of, um, to me, a standout experience because after traveling to Dachau, um, it's easy to make the connection um, because there was a lot of unrest within, um, not Munich, but Germany and um, some of the surrounding countries after World War II. And the Olympic Center and the Olympics being held in Germany was sort of meant to symbolize how Germany had moved on um, after World War II. And it's very sad to um, think about um, how they sort of lessened up the security a little bit because they wanted to not make themselves look bad. And mm-hmm. um, it, it ultimately um, backfired and there was this terrorist attack that happened. And it was, it was a similar experience to that of Dachau to be at a, a historical place, not necessarily um, as strong of a place but again it was nice to be somewhere where you could see the history in front of you mm-hmm. I went to the right uh, the White Rose Museum and Memorial mm-hmm. the White Rose was a group of students and a professor who uh, basically did protests and sent pamphlets throughout Munich highlighting the Nazi atrocities and going for and to just just push against Hitler and bring down the Nazi party for the sake of Germany. This was in the late 40s. A lot of these students have were did a suit were in a student battalion and were on the and saw some of the front lines of the Russian forces and the inhumanity. They talked about what was happening to uh, they're talking about the Holocaust, and they brought these out and would send these pamphlets out and try to get more people and expose them to it. Sadly, most of them were caught and executed. Mm-hmm. And even while they kept on trying to go, people's and then their respective families were persecuted and possibly also executed. Mm-hmm. And it helped highlight the idea of students our age pushing back against a fascist regime regime, and doing things that, I'll admit, it's hard to wonder, would I be able to do it? Mm-hmm. Especially, it's the question of, are you willing to not just put yourself on the line for this, but your family and your friends? Mm-hmm. And... It's that question of, would you be, do you have the ability and that strength to do so? Mm-hmm. 
And it's, that's the, it's one of those questions where you're never going to know until, unfortunately, you have to face that decision. Yeah. But it was amazing seeing other students do that type of bravery and sacrifice. That's really neat. I kind of wish I went over there. Um, by the time, um, by that time in the day, so I had woken up that morning. I was so tired. I was not ready to wake up, and I'm usually pretty good with waking up, um, but not this morning. Um, so we did the church tour. Um, at the end of the church tour, a group of students and I, well, we wanted to see the opera house, so we went over there. But unfortunately, all the doors were locked. Um, but we were able to see the the Munich Opera House, um, the ar- the outside architecture. Um, it was really interesting. Right outside, there was a really sunny. It was very sunny at this point during the day, and there was a whole wall um, with kind of like a um, sort of a bench. I don't know if it was meant to be a bench, but it was the the wall had um, you know kind of a three foot high piece of stone that functioned as a bench and there was uh, this row was entirely filled with people sitting there sunning themselves I do not know what they were waiting for if they were waiting in line or if they were just hanging out there um but that was just kind of some it was bizarre I wish I could show you a picture and you could visualize this but this row of like I'm not very good at visualizing numbers but I would have to say it was like a hundred people just in a row sitting in the sun um and so anyway we walked past that to the opera house um which was very beautiful we didn't get to go inside but that's all right um and at that point we were we were all kind of tired so we found food someplace and um went back to the hostel um i journaled i showered and packed up all my stuff um in preparation um for the next day when we would um when we will leave Mm. um uh, so I wouldn't have to do so much <laughs> when I came back. But yeah, um, so kind of a relaxed afternoon for me. Definitely, I was the lack of sleep and constant moving places, having places to be caught up with me. Um, so I'd say if I ever did a trip of this kind again, it would be important to work in more periods of rest so mm. that when I wanted to take this time for myself, I wouldn't feel guilty or that I was missing out on seeing the city if that makes sense um so yeah to have more rest time would have been good um that's it yep um i have almost forgot i we walked i walked in on a march on a protest in the center of munich it from what we made out it looked like it was a student protest on looked like cost of education but we weren't quite sure because i do not speak german Um, and the person I was with spoke very basic German. So we, it was hard to make out what was on the signs or what was in the chants, but it was a line of about young, because it was a younger group of people looked like students marching through the, the streets. And it was impressive and confusing admittedly, but we can say we walked in on a march or a protest in Munich yeah. in the middle of January. Nice. I do I know that in Germany we had a foreign exchange student um, a few years ago. They say that that higher education, you know, before a mass you know, for a undergraduate degree is free in Germany. 
um, which I think is really interesting. And I think they kind of ridicule the United States at times um, because of our high cost of education and our rigorous um, admissions processes. Um, and I think, you know, pretty rightly so. We all did that last year and it's really annoying in the amount of money that you know, it, it costs to to enroll in an institution um, is definitely a lot. So I think maybe, maybe that also contributes to the student culture there where education is, a, you know, treated more as a right. And it, it is a right here. And of course, there are tons of scholarships and opportunities that we can take, but it's the government views it as a right and a necessity to the point that they, you know, provide that. Of course, there are probably private colleges that you could pay money for, um, you know, to attend, but that's kind of interesting to see, to catch a glimpse of students there um, and, you know, how they live in that sort of thing. So, yeah. I think that is all for this episode. Tune in next time and we're going to be doing not a day coverage, but we're going to be recapping our cultural, musical and historical experiences throughout the whole trip and we'll finally be telling you about the future of the podcast mm -hmm. including our name mm. as always i'm will i'm osney and i'm davison and take care